What if that nagging feeling in the back of your neck was real? What if those hands reaching out from the dark that you believed were there, were there? What if the monster in the basement really existed? And what if there was really something under the bed? Would you have the courage to face your fears? Hello, brave souls. I'm your host, Paul Rondeau, and tonight's story is called Mr. and Mrs. Scarecrow, written by Lawson Ray. Annalise and I moved to our new neighborhood in southern Kansas just under two years ago. I don't feel comfortable saying the name of our town, because I don't want anyone that hears the story to come here. I wouldn't wish this place on my worst enemy. I wanted to stay in Des Moines, where we both could work big corporate jobs. But as usual, my wife won that argument. She had the suburbs etched in stone by the first time she could fashion a thought. I'm just here for the ride. Annalise wanted to raise Kendra in an area like the one where she grew up. Quaint, small, middle America suburb with a decent school system. Only about a week or two after we made our decision, Annalise showed me an old but gorgeous house in a cute town of about 2,000 people. This is it, she told me. She always did have great instinct. Well, not this time. Everything started out great. Perfect, even. We settled down quick, met some neighbors, joined the only synagogue in town. Everyone seemed to know our names the instant we moved in, even people we hadn't met. Maybe especially people we hadn't met. I was meandering around the food store about two days after we moved in, and the guy in the produce section said, Welcome to town, Tyler! I'd never met him in my life, but I still said, Hello, and smiled back at him. After all, this is a small town. Maybe it's customary that everybody knows everyone's name. On the same trip, a woman in the dairy section said, Great to see you, Mr. Grayson. To her I said, Nice to see you too. But after a while it all began to get suspicious. I noticed they didn't all speak to each other that way. Only to Annalise and me. About a week into living here, I felt a cold shiver run down my back whenever I was in public like someone had a gun trained on my spine. On the surface, it all seemed friendly, but I sensed it wasn't. It was almost like every time they said hi and smiled, they were actually mocking us. The first time I felt this way, I bottled up the feeling and told myself, you're just paranoid, Tyler. Relax. But every trip to the food store, the gas station, the post office, Kendra's school, it was all the same. The same nod, Hello, and gleeful smile. And then one day in August, I came home from the gas station where I was politely confronted by two men and a woman grinning like children who'd done something wrong and saying, Good morning, Mr. Grayson. At this point, I just about had it and finally brought up the so-called townsfolk friendliness with Annalise. Hey, I said, still hesitant. Have people been acting strange around you? She poked her head out from her book. And pushed up her glasses. Strange. What do you mean? Everyone's been nothing but nice around here. Yeah, I said. I guess, but do you feel like, I don't know, a celebrity here? Of course I do, she laughed. We're the first new people to move in here the last eight months. 
Enjoy it while it lasts. They'll forget us eventually. But they didn't forget about us. The Jones family moved in about two weeks ago, then the Vickers family a few days later, and we were still the center of attention. And why? Why us? I didn't want to press further with Annalise. I didn't want to scare her as much as I was scared. They all knew something. It's like standing in a group of a dozen people laughing at an inside joke while you force a stupid grin, wondering what you missed. But on a cool day in late September when I was fetching the mail, a man waited for me at the end of the driveway, and it wasn't the mailman. He was old, disheveled, wild-eyed, and wearing a misbuttoned blue shirt, causing it to sag to the side. His pants were muddy and a couple of rags for shoes, held together but nothing but thin threads. Can I help you? I asked. I'd hope you said no. You can leave, he replied. I'm sorry? Mr. Grayson, he began. Nobody will tell you this, but you need to get out. Get out as fast as you can. Get out! Get out? What are you talking about? Why would we leave? He didn't quite answer, but he gave me something else. Some clue to all our celebrity. He cocked his head, his dangling arms swinging with a small gust of a breeze. His eyes scanned the house. I turned to follow them. He looked at the shutters, then the windows, the roof, then the door. He looked at the shrubs, then to me, and finally said, The house. Get out. Get out. Sir, I think you should leave, I told him. Get out, he said, not budging. Then he stepped forward. I stepped back. He stepped forward again, and before I could react, he shoved a crumpled piece of paper in my palm and tugged on my hand. I felt his every breath while his shaking fist laid in my palm. His head jolted and his trembling lips were in my ear. They don't tell you. None of them. They don't care. Get out. You're the one that needs to get out, I said. I pushed him off with a piece of paper in one hand. Leave before I call the cops. He stumbled back and fell to the grass. Is everything all right? Annalise called from the house. I glared at him, and he glared at the house, a pale, morbid fear in his expression. Yeah, everything's fine, I said. I turned around to make my way back inside. I told myself if he was still on the property when I got back to Annalise, I'd call the police. As I walked away, I heard him mumbling, Get out! Get out! Get out! Get out! Is everything all right? I heard yelling, Annalise said. I reached Annalise's side and looked back down to the crumpled paper the man had shoved in my hand. It's of a man, a woman, and their child, all dressed in what looked like vintage scarecrow costumes. The father looked like the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. A pointed hat, white scarf, and baggy shirt with a rope belt you could see beside his wrist. On his head was a potato sack with eye holes cut out. In front of him is what appeared to be a male child in a suit with a white sack over his head with poked-out eyes, nose, and mouth holes. On his feet are a pair of slippers like the ones Dorothy had, and on the boy's left is his mother, who's sporting a patterned dress and wearing a brown sack over her head. What is it? Annalise said. I didn't know how to tell her. I couldn't describe it in the moment, so instead, I turned the photo to show her. What is that? Where did you get it? That old man. He gave it to me. I pointed toward the road in front of our house, 
and she looked up to follow my finger. What old man? I looked up to you. Nothing. No sign of the man. He, he was just there a second ago. I turned the picture over. It was dated October 31st, 1930. Halloween. After a week or so had gone by, we still hadn't seen the old man again. At this point, Annalise and I started joking about the photograph. We said it was probably photoshopped or just a prank. We even hung it on the refrigerator as a memento to our weird encounter. This all brings us to October 29th, 2020, when Kendra first noticed the photo hanging on the refrigerator. Annalise was slaving over the stove, whipping up her mom's steak bits recipe we ate at least once a week. Kendra came downstairs to help set the table, but she stopped short in front of the refrigerator. The picture was above her eye level, so she pulled it down until it was in line. I watched her attentively, terrified of her curious reaction to the picture. She examined it, and at first said nothing. Kendra, I said, why don't you come help Daddy set the table? It was like she didn't hear me. Kendra? The stove sizzled in the background while I gathered three sets of forks, knives, and plates, and Kendra stroked the picture like a long-lost pet. She suddenly grinned, then mumbled something. What was that, honey? Annalise said. Kendra repeated herself louder this time. Mr. and Mrs. Scarecrow. I think I'll go with them this year. What? I demanded. I think they both heard it in my voice. Fear. Kendra refused to elaborate, and Annalise did nothing but try to comfort me. Silly picture, Kendra said and giggled, then ran over to help me. It is silly, isn't it? That's a great name for that picture, though, Annalise said. Mr. and Mrs. Scarecrow. She switched the stove off, and I watched the blue flame retract and thought of that name over and over again. Mr. and Mrs. Scarecrow. I wanted to take the picture down immediately. We were practically inviting the idea of them into our home. To this day, I don't know if it would have made a difference. And then came the night of the 31st. Halloween. Ninety years after that photograph was taken but only 10 months after we moved in. Kendra insisted on being Snow White, switching her choice from the superhero Black Widow days before Halloween night. My dear Annalise managed to make the costume for her just in time. All I had to do was get the fabrics from the strip mall at the center of town. And as Halloween approached, the celebrity treatment in town wasn't getting better. It was getting worse. Far worse. People I didn't even know didn't only greet me by name. They seemed giddy about it. The cashier at the fabric store said, See you around, Tyler Grayson. To the snickering customers behind me and the other cashier rolling her eyes. See you around? What did that mean? At this point, it wasn't just like an inside joke. It was an inside joke. But I still didn't know what it was about. Not yet. Annalise and I dressed up as Lois Lane and Superman, respectively, and took pictures of our elated little girl in her snow-white costume. She made poses in the kitchen and skipped around the dining table, jumping every few steps like she was attempting to fly. After our little family photo shoot was done, we gave Kendra her pillowcase to collect candy and headed out for a night of trick-or-treating. Kendra grabbed the pillowcase and ran out the door at least five minutes before Annalise and I could get our acts together to leave. I took the keys and Annalise grabbed her work handbag that conveniently matched her fictional journalist's outfit. She went outside and I followed, readying to lock the door. But before I could make my way outside, I heard a loud gasp from the porch. Annalise, honey, what's going on? 
I thought she was going to say she forgot her phone or something like that, but she didn't even respond. I ran outside to meet them and see what the gas was about. When I got there, I stopped dead just behind Kendra and Annalise. My wife was petrified, but Kendra seemed relieved, this is the only way to put it, like she was expecting our guests. Before us stood three people, a family in matching outfits. The mother and son were dressed up in old, but fine-looking dress clothes, a dress on the mother and button-up shirt and blazer for the son. The father, on the other hand, was dressed in a baggy sack of a shirt with a rope belt holding up his loose pants. All three of them wore white bags over their faces, made of potato sacks with janky holes poked in them. Trick or treat, the little boy croaked in a shockingly dry voice, so dry that I almost wanted to offer him water instead of candy. He held out his plastic pumpkin with both hands, awaiting our deposit. His parents stood behind me in eerie silence. I'd seen them before. In the moment, I couldn't quite pinpoint where. Happy Halloween, Annalise said. What are you all supposed to be? Again, the little boy was the only one that spoke. Where the scarecrows? Kendra turned back and looked up at me. Mr. and Mrs. Scarecrow. I stared at the mother into her burlap sack of a stitched, sagging face. Her hands were the only sign of skin poking out from her costume. Long, wiry, and scarred fingers. I looked to Annalise. She was managing to maintain more composure than me, but I could tell she recognized them too. At this point, I noticed something lingering beyond the straw family before us. Everyone. The entire town. Most of them weren't wearing costumes, but a few were. All of them dressed in a homemade white sack over their faces. I recognized a number of them. Frank from the produce aisle and his wife Linda. Sal from the dairy section. Then Rita from the fabric store. There was David from the deli and Helen from Kendra's school. All of them. Everyone was there. The boy shook his plastic pumpkin, startling me. Trick or treat, he groaned again. His parents stood mostly still. But I saw his mother's arm subtly flop down and sway from her flowing dress. Something shined from beneath her padded dress. A blade. Kendra, I whispered through gritted teeth. Get back inside. She didn't listen. Mommy, Mommy, it's Mr. and Mrs. Scarecrow. Annalise was pale. She didn't say anything. She didn't look like she could. I bent down slowly as not to startle anyone on our porch, especially the mother. Once I made it to the ground, I picked four candies at random out of our bucket then cautiously stood back up. Kendra, inside now, I demanded. Stricter this time. Again, she didn't move. I extended my arm and felt my heart racing. I didn't know if my wrist would be taken off before it reached the kid's plastic pumpkin. But I didn't know what else to do. If I did as I was told, maybe we'd be allowed to go, alive. The rest of the town watched this whole saga unfold from the street, but did nothing. It was like we were all putting on an act for them. I half expected them all to break out into laughter and tell us it was one big elaborate prank. They never did. I inched forward so my hand was hovering over the boy's bucket. He shook it again, anticipating my deposit. Then I dropped the candy, and immediately the boy retracted his bucket and groaned. The four pieces missed his bucket and fell at his feet. He vehemently shook his head. Trick or treat, he said again. Trick or treat, trick or treat, trick or treat. With each iteration, his voice sounded more guttural, drier than before. 
Annalise only got paler, and I more terrified. I knew we should have stayed in Des Moines. I should have seen the writing on the wall. They were all in on it. This. Whatever this was. In the house, Kendra, now! Once again, she didn't listen. Kendra wasn't terrified, not like us. It was like she'd seen a best friend for the first time in decades. She stepped slowly, but confidently, over to the boy's side. She then turned to me and looked up from beneath her brunette bangs and said, I'll go with them this year. No, you won't, Kendra. Sweetie, now. Back in the house. I go with them this year. Chick or treat, chick or treat, chick or treat. The mother's blade disappeared in the abyss of her patterned dress. Then I noticed the onlookers. Their phone cameras pointed at our house and eager smiles strapped across their cheeks. In monotone unison, they said, She'll go with them this year. She'll go with them this year. Kendra nodded. I'll go with them this year. She giggled. When she finished saying this, saying it for the last time. All of them felt silent. Sweetie, no! Annalise cried out. Come back here. Come back here now! The four of them turned away toward the street, and the town began to disperse back to their homes. Tyler, do something! Do something! I leapt off the porch, not knowing what I'd do when I reached them. I swiped hard at the man, suddenly ready to kill him if I needed to. No, I wanted to. But I felt nothing more than a dry, muffled thud when my fist met his back. And he didn't react. Not even at all. The four of them just kept walking with that stupid plastic pumpkin in their creepy burlap hoods. Annalise was crying now. Please come back, baby. Please come back. She collapsed to her knees. I punched the man's back again and again, and he never reacted. I tugged on his sleeve and got nothing but a fistful of straw. And then they reached the end of the property, just before the street, and stopped as if they were waiting for a bus. A gust of wind swept through their clothes, shook harshly against its force. Kendra, no, please come back. The wind howled and roared and the sacks came loose, but so did their dresses and blazers and even the snow-white costume. It whipped by them and suddenly there was nothing, nothing but clumps of needled straw lifting off into that Halloween night. Our town was too small for a local police force, so we ended up calling the state troopers to report our daughter's kidnapping. They seemed hesitant, like they were just going through the motions following our case. And the investigation, or sorry, excuse for one, panned out the same way. They sent a few troopers to investigate the town and the house. The only evidence they asked for was a description of the kidnappers. So I thought of the photograph hanging on our refrigerator and went to get it for them. But when I grabbed it, I saw something else in the picture. A daughter in the family, Creeps. I know she wasn't there before. She was dressed in a flowing white dress and wearing a white sack over her head just like the rest of the family. Kendra. There she was in her snow white dress. That was all too familiar. On her head was a potato sack with eyes and a mouth hole poked in. Matching those of her new family. With shaking hands, I turned it over and saw the date. October 31st, 2020. I couldn't believe it. It was still old and crumpled and sepia-colored. By all measures, it looked like it was still from 1930. But the date read clearly and my little girl stood a part of the ghastly family. I made a copy of the photograph before I gave it over to the state troopers. This is the last photo we have of Kendra.
As for the rest of the town, we received no help. I wanted to move out, but Annalise and I agreed to stay and hold out hope that our daughter would return one day. But I watched her. I watched her get swept away by a gust of wind and turned into straw while the town turned its back on us. They all knew it was going to happen, but not one had the dignity to say. The case ended up going cold after a couple months with no evidence besides the picture of Kendra in a sacked hood in front of Mr. and Mrs. Scarecrow. As Halloween approaches again this year, we won't be dressing up this time. Our plan is to sit at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee in an empty, sobering house, hoping we'll hear the knock on the door. The one from Mr. and Mrs. Scarecrow. All we want is for our baby girl to come trick-or-treating with us this year. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the story. Come back next time for some more spooky stories. And if you'd like to read some more spooky stories, you can go to LawsonRay.com. That's L-A-W-S-O-N-R-A-Y.com to read more of this author's great stories. Again, thank you for listening. And remember to always face your fears.